We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another Buzz Beat. We are recording this following the Hornets' 14th game of the season, having just played the Wizards the day before Thanksgiving, winning 117-114 at home. I think they've already played the Wizards three times this season, which is interesting. This is Richie. I'll be joined by Darian here, uh, Trust the Buzz, his YouTube channel, for a quick recap. We are also live on YouTube, Spaces, and if there are any questions that come up in the chat, we can get to those as well. Lastly, as we get into this, we wanted to make sure if you haven't given us a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd appreciate it because it helps us get noticed even more. So, Darian, thanks for joining again. I believe this is your third appearance. Yeah, I think so. I'm glad to be here. Anytime you ask me to get on, I'm more than happy to get on. So I'm, I'm glad to be back. Yes, I, there's not many people that have been on our show three times. There's been people that have been on <laughs> once, twice, but three three's a different category. I like it. Alpha Echelon, I guess. <laughs> That's right. Um, let me ask you a quick question because we are in the Thanksgiving uh, holiday spirit here. If you were to choose three things that need to be on your plate for Thanksgiving, and those three had to be on the plate, regardless of what other, you know, whatever else comes. I know there's probably four or five, six things on your plate, but choose the top three. Choose the top three. Mm, turkey. Uh, I got to be traditional. I love, I love the turkey. Okay. Uh, mac and cheese. Mac and cheese is a staple. It's just so, it's good. And I normally don't eat a lot of it throughout the year. So that's why I like, you know, having it at Thanksgiving is the best. And... Probably like dressing with gravy is a, okay. is another one. That one, that one, yeah, that's probably my third one. Those I always have to get, no matter where I'm at, no matter my family, friends, family, wife's family. I, those are the three I always look for. Yeah, that's funny because those would have been the three that I said. Uh, <laughs> I, I call it stuffing, dressing, whatever you want to call it. But uh, yeah. yeah, those are the three that are always a staple on my plate. All right, so let's get into this game recap. The Hornets did end up winning. You probably wouldn't have felt that if you watched the first half. Uh, they were down at half. There was actually a half-court shot that did not come back to bite them uh, in the butt, but that would have been fun if they did lose by three, having that been the uh, the Kispert three before halftime. But 
117-114. Miles Bridges finished with 33 points, 11 rebounds. Lamella Ball finished with 34 points, 8 rebounds, 13 assists. And then for the Washington side, Kuzma and I think Gafford were probably the biggest players, the biggest components for them to kind of keep them in the game. Uh, Hornets struggled offensively. Uh, a lot of clogged lanes in the first and second quarters. And it really was LaMelo in the first half that kind of kept that energy, especially at the beginning of the second quarter. But I do think that the lack of perimeter shooting on this team, you know, affects this team in so many different ways. There's a lot of like standing around late in shot clock situations, a lot of like drive, kick out to somebody that that person pumps, they drive, they kick out to somebody. And it's really like LaMelo and Miles consistently putting that rim pressure. I actually thought Mark Williams, we'll get to him a little bit later, but I don't think he was that big of a factor in the first half or even like the first three quarters. It felt like his impact was very inconsistent. And I think, you know, maybe some of the foul trouble, you know, hurt him as well, but it, it didn't feel like he was having that big of an impact. And, and some of the things that he was doing felt a little bit neutralized by Washington. And I thought the Hornets would come out you know, in the second half with a little bit more energy. I get it. It's the day before Thanksgiving. I don't think they're playing again until Sunday, and it's a team that they should beat. But when you come off this high from Boston, you win this game, it almost felt like the Hornets could just walk through this game, and they did eventually win, and it wasn't pretty. But for the longest time, Darian, I did not think they were going to win this game. Yeah, I didn't either. I was really confused just didn't understand we've seen and this isn't anything new we've seen it last three or four years um where the hornets just take teams easy they just kind of think they can coast through like you said this is also situational that's something i didn't think about until you said it about thanksgiving's coming up you don't play till sunday and that's the beginning of a road trip you know final game of the home game stand it it all makes sense situationally why this game was the way it was but for a team like us, where we need every single win we can get, it's important for us to win this game. And I'm glad, and I think they knew that. But I also don't think they thought that the Wizards would come out the way they did. So I, I, that, I believe that played a part in it as well. And like you said, it, this was very reminiscent, in my opinion, of the way the Boston game kind of went, where the mellow keeps you afloat, he keeps you in the game. And then kind of towards the end, and as you mentioned, like with Mark Williams, Miles Bridges too, uh, Brandon Miller hit a clutch shot. Like the other guys starting to pick up like right at the just the peak of the game. All right. When, you know, when Lamelo's probably gassed and I'm not saying he doesn't have le- any more left in him because we find we know Lamelo will pull energy out of anywhere. But when Lamelo's kind of gassed, the other guys really stepped up at the end there. And that, that I thought, you know, like I said, very reminiscent of the Boston game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Yeah, exactly. And I, I almost feel like you could argue that LaMelo Ball in the past five games has been top five, top 10 NBA player uh, no. just these you know, five to eight games. Like, And it's funny, a lot of these younger guards are playing really well right now. Halliburton, SGA, De'Aaron Fox. But those teams have a better support system around them. You know, Ball is like the top of the top of the list of the game plan. So he heads into these games knowing that a lot of the focus and the attention is going to be, hey, let, let's stop Ball. And then the other four guys will have a, a more difficult time. But heading into this game, I, I looked this up before we got on here. Last five games for Ball, he's shooting 41 percent on above the break threes, 67 percent on corner threes and 63% in the restricted area uh, in those last five games. And we, we saw a little bit of everything tonight with his floater game, uh, his push shot, his step back three, his passing was awesome. I think I've, I've noticed one thing. I don't know if I tweeted this or not, but he does a good job of, of passing and cutting when he picks up his dribble from three because opponents close out hard on him knowing that he's a, is a very good three-point shooter. And so when that closeout comes, he makes that immediate pass to the big and then he goes he goes directly to the rim. And that happened a couple times where it led to points because the opponent is kind of going the opposite direction while his momentum is taking him towards the hoop. So he was huge tonight. Step back three, uh, a nice little pass to JT Thor, who was Mm, that was a great pass. Yeah, that was great. That was one of the better passes of the game. And then one thing I just wanted to highlight before I pass it back to you about LaMelo. And I mentioned this about Mark, like Mark wasn't all that involved until the fourth quarter and him and, and ball had a, like a two man game a lot in that fourth quarter. They spammed that pick and roll back to back to back and tried to get Mark involved. Mark didn't get his first dunk until the fourth quarter, but I say this because they were doing this uh, late in the game. And there was this one play that I wanted to highlight where he got an empty side pick and roll on the right side of the court with Mark Williams. And you're expecting him to use the screen, but he rejects it, goes baseline. The baseline's wide open. And then you have that Miles Bridges cut, kind of fumbled mm-hmm. ball, right? 
It could have been a cleaner dunk, but that was a that was a clutch pass and a clutch play. And for Lamelo to recognize, hey, I'm using Mark's screen over and over again. How about I reject this? Go baseline where there's not as much help. And then when there, the help does come, he found Miles Bridges. So yeah, I, I would make the case that he's been a top ten guy over the past five games. Yeah, and I don't anyone that would argue against you has not been watching him because he has just been phenomenal, especially as people who have watched LaMelo go from year one to year four. This is what we thought we would see. We were like, once once LaMelo puts it all together, he can be an entire offense by himself. And I think there's still some stuff left. Of course, every basketball player is always improving. There's still some stuff left to kind of between him and that just like that upper echelon where it's like this guy literally can't be stopped. He still has a little ways to go there, but I mean, it's closer than ever, I feel like. And the fact that he is so young reaching that kind of level, because we're talking about the level he's playing at now at the age is like that's a guy's, you know, peak at 27, 28. So it does make me kind of wonder, you know, into the future life. He's doing this now. Imagine what it's going to be like then when it's just a little more refined, hopefully better teammates. Uh, He's just he's just playing out his mind. And I think he's able to just affect the game in so many ways. And he's taking advantage of of that because, like, I'll at least go to the first three seasons. He was very like, okay, if he's not scoring, he's play. He has like ten plus assists. If he, if you know, the playmaking, if the offense in general is a little shaky, he has like eleven, twelve rebounds. This year, we even saw when he was struggling, he is able to impact the game in other ways on offense outside of like shooting and passing. Similar to what you're saying, just the cuts, the the drives to the rim. Because yes, you weren't making them, but the consistency of doing that over and over again, we've seen that it's created a lot of space for others. Bryce McGowan's was, you know, a, a benefactor of that today. Uh, JG Thor had a few chances and had a few chances all season, really, to kind of be a benefactor of that. So if we can get the guy, other guys to hit shots and Lamelo continues to do what he does, I don't see how it's going to be easy to stop him because now – if he's not scoring, then just hit the now. I think he's reaching that point where just the threat of him is good enough to where it's going to keep other teams honest and still open up the game for others. As far as him not hitting, though, I don't know. He, he's got to slow down at some point, I, but it doesn't look like it's going to be anytime soon. He just looks like he's in another, like a, another zone. Uh, the little floater, like you mentioned, the just attacks of the at, at the basket, the ability to kick out. The three we've seen him. I've seen him catching in this game alone. We saw the catch and shoot. We saw the step back. We saw the where he's just kind of holding it for a little bit. Nothing, the offense really doesn't materialize, and he just chucks it up and it goes in. Like we've seen it from all levels, and it, he's just on really like another zone right now. He's such an unconventional player. I think a lot of times it's hard to kind of gauge. Like man, he's taking these weird one footed floaters. He's he's doing things that not a lot of people see. So when he does. He does try something that not a lot of players would try, and it ends up in a mistake. I think sometimes we kind of shake our heads a little bit more, but the positives like totally outweigh the negatives. And I think in this game specifically, just wanted to point this out. When you break down by quarter the points, he was fairly consistent over the over the four quarters. And like I said, he was one of the few guys in the first half that kind of kept them afloat. Mm-hmm. I'll use your term there. But he had his most points in the fourth quarter, 12 points, four rebounds, seven assists, 
four of nine shooting, but two big free throws late. The Hornets did not shoot the ball particularly well from the uh, the charity stripe, uh, 71%, but he hit two late in this game uh, to kind of come up big and, and clutch. I will pass it to you, Darian. Which player do you want to talk about or which players would you like to talk about next? Oh, man. Let's talk about... Can be good or bad. Oh, man. Let's talk because I think me and you are the only two people, at least I see, who are kind of high on this player, especially as of late. Let's talk about Bryce McGowan's. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So Bryce McGowan's, um, a guy that uh, his three point shot has not been falling for the most part, but in today's game, it was. And I, I think one thing that I did note on on Twitter the other day in the Boston game, where his box score looked pretty poor, but I thought it was. That was a little bit deceiving. I mean, obviously, he didn't have a great game in Boston, but some of the little things that I saw that he did uh, defensively and just kind of competing on that end, you're seeing little jumps here and there. I, I think he's a guy that uh, is better at as, as a straight-line driver getting to the rim. He, he's aggressive in that way, but he definitely benefited from LaMelo in this game. I think he had three three-pointers, and I think mm-hmm. two of them were assisted from LaMelo. I think both of those coming in the first half. And I made a point, you know, this kind of goes hand-in-hand with Gordon Hayward, who had an awful Awful game. That's awful. what I was going to mention next. <laughs> and I am probably one of, if not the biggest proponent of, of, of Gordon Hayward on Hornets community Twitter, but... I will even admit that I I don't think that he should have been playing that much in the fourth quarter. He did close the game out for the Hornets, but I almost wish it would have been Bryce because Bryce was was feeling it, and I'll have to look up his stat line. But those three-pointers that he makes, hopefully that kind of builds his confidence moving forward. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So I have it right here. He had 13 points, one steal, one block, three rebounds, um, was four or five from the field, three or four from three, and two of two from the free throw line. So – he had a he had a pretty solid game, and like you said, uh, I just the only reason I said I want to talk about it is just because he's doing a lot of the small things that at the at the beginning of the season we really want Cody Martin to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and if Bri- if we can get Bryce McGowan's to do that, as far as like a team building standpoint, I think that helps out a lot. Um, considering you know we just paid Cody Martin, and I know he comes off the books and like at some point, but if Bryce McGowan's can pick up that role. I think that would help this team significantly. I you won't be able to rely on him because he's just now kind of getting like good, reliable, solid minutes. If this continues, I, I will have to see like what happens when Terry when we get everyone healthy. Um, but if he can, can kind of provide this, I think it's going to be very beneficial for the team. You have another guy that can kind of handle the ball. I, I'm not going to look for him to play make or lead the offense, but he he can at least handle it on his own for a little bit uh, in certain plays. And then also he can hit the three, but like you said, also a point of dribble penetration. He does a good job of that. That's kind of his bread and butter. And if you look at his film, you know, I know it's going far back now, but if you look at his film from Nebraska, he was just very creative at doing that. And right now we only have LaMelo and Miles who are like very effective at it. If we can add like other people to that right now, I don't know how, like you can't, I don't know how the three ball is just going to start falling. So I feel as though the best thing we can do is create the space. So the more people we can get a little more comfortable attacking the basket, maybe that will help because I think the only real way we can help is by trade or something like that. And I just don't, there's, I'm not going to sit here and wait for that to happen. So yeah, Bryce McGowan's, I think he's just had a pretty good game, pretty solid game. 
any. I, it did suck that did not see him close, but his defense I thought was really really good. I thought he played aggressive. I thought you know he did a good job of keeping up who he need to keep up with. He didn't get confused too many times where he's ball watching or rotate over to the wrong person. I think he just played a good active game. And based on where our bench is right now, that's all. That's really all we can ask for. So I just really want to give him credit because I normally am not too high on the bench. So the fact that we had a bench player actually play decent, I just that I just had felt like I just had to say something. Yeah, because this wasn't like an Ish Smith game. He didn't really have a game. Uh, JT yeah. Thor hit like a, a three pointer early in the game, but other than mm-hmm. that, like maybe his rebounding was was all right, but. Bryce McGowan's was the guy off the bench in this game. And obviously the Hornets were limited because PJ Washington, we learned the news that he was going to be absent for this game with an injury. Uh, that was kind of a, a shock last minute um, kind of announcement there. So, it, it, you know, the, the team kind of shrunk in, in terms of which, which players could have been used. And it's funny, mm-hmm. Bryce McGowan's and Gordon Hayward are not only connected because I thought, you know, Bryce should have played over Gordon, but they actually did some like summer workouts together and mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's funny. It's almost like, you know, Gordon is mentoring uh, Bryce. I don't feel like they're like all that similar of players, but they have they have some similarities. And, you know, for Gordon, just, you know, I, I don't know if it was like 25 percent that he shot. I think he only made two dunks in the third quarter where mm-hmm. like he tried to ignite some energy to come back. And um, I think it was like back to back possessions as well. But Clifford did. Speaking of defense, Clifford did praise. Hayward's defense a ton against Boston and I thought especially early on with Hayward it was good again to start the game and I think his physicality and his ability to be around players kind of like Bryce McGowan just has the ability to be around players goes a long way I think sometimes when people evaluate players on the defensive side of the court you can't look at the end product you can't look at the ball going through the basket I think if you can test shots you're around the ball you know, you're you're with your rotations and stuff like that. I think that that is a better way to judge someone on that end. And I think Hayward and McGowan's, uh, to your point, both did that in this game, even though Hayward w- was god awful. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, the only other two players that I you know would like to mention is Mark Williams and Miles Bridges. Mm-hmm. Miles Bridges, obviously, what is it? What what game number is this for him? Four. Four. Yeah, and he's yeah. back. Like he's. Full form, it seems like just yeah, it's it's very awkward to talk about him, but like strictly yeah. as a basketball player, right? He's on the team, so we we've got to talk about him. Mm-hmm. He started off slow, like he missed a bunny. He did, uh, he did real early in the game, cold start, but he was able to get to double digits by by halftime. And he's one of the few guys on this roster that it feels like he adheres to Borrego's like old philosophies. You're either getting to the rim or you're shooting threes. Mm-hmm. And also one of the few guys that has the ability to do that, like off the dribble. He can shoot the ball off the dribble from behind the arc, which many players on this roster do not have that ability. And he's one of the few players that can get to the rim. You know, bully ball, Euro steps. He can finish with either hand, acrobatic finishes. He had this nice and one finish uh, in the beginning of the second half. Mm-hmm. And he had really good um, clutch plays like LaMelo where, yeah, I'm sure you remember this, where he stole the ball from Jordan Poole kind of around like. Oh, yeah, when it was getting like tipped around and stuff. Yeah. yeah. He missed the free throw, but he drew the end one there. And then I think on the next possession, he had a step back three with yeah. five seconds left to create that three-point cushion. So he's a guy that obviously on the court uh, allows the Hornets to do some things that they weren't previously allowed to do. 
He's an undersized center at times. I think him and JT Thor kind of like oscillate between yeah. four and five. To me, mm-hmm. I think I think Miles Bridges, like if both of those guys are on the court, I, I think Miles Bridges is it's probably semantics, but he's the five. He's the guy that can kind For of, sure. It, yeah. I would rather him, you know, kind of be the five. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I just wanted to get that in about about Bridges. Uh, obviously, the, the whole situation is just very awkward and weird to talk about. But he was either the best player or the second best player tonight. For sure, yeah. I, I mean, there's a there's not a lot he can't do on the floor. I think his defenses look pretty good. We saw him being put on Giannis uh, in the Bucks game, um, I, I, and he kind of switches around. I think uh, playing him at the five, kind of how we have to do, it allows us, like you said, to do things that we normally can't do, uh, but being able to have that athletic five, because we saw at times the Wizards, and even in the second time we played them, we saw them try to go back to the five out that killed us that very first game. Uh, And so being able to put Miles at the five, JT Thor at the four, because JT Thor at least can stand there. like So at least that helps a little bit. Um, So allowing Miles at the five, uh, you know, allows him to kind of pick up any pick and roll um, and just make it very switchable, which is what the war, I mean, not the Warriors, the Wizards are trying to do is get, you know, preferable matchups. But with Miles out there at the five, and like I said, JT Thor as well, it's going to be hard to kind of get a preferable matchup, you know, unless you're just really attacking LaMelo. But we saw, you know, kind of towards the end of this game, LaMelo's playing really good active defense as well, just sliding his feet, making sure no one gets past him. But, yeah, Miles Bridges, I think he's just going to be a huge component of his team. I, I'm noticing he didn't have any assists, which that's yeah. kind of been one of his unrated, underrated things, in my opinion, even, you know, before he left, was that he was he's actually a really good passer. So, um you know him not getting an assist. I don't think that is you know he was playing like selfish ball or anything, but it just it just jumped out at me just because of the fact that he is so good at passing. But there was a lot of times you know Miles was on the floor and there was no Lamelo, so Miles just kind of had to make something work. I think that's a you know he got a little groove there too. Uh, that's how he got a, a few of his points. So yeah, he's he's just going to be the double digit rebounds again. He's just going to be a huge component. He's going to be a huge component because he allows us to actually be versatile. Um, because we have a lot of versatile guys on our team, but very few excel at really being versatile. He's one of the few that I feel as though it really doesn't matter where you put him. He's he's gonna he's gonna make the most of that, and, and most of the time it's a mismatch. To your point, it's, it's almost like he and Lamelo cannot be sitting at the same time because of the fact that they can make things happen with the ball in their hands. And he is playing a ton of minutes, like rust or like getting into game shape. Clifford's like, no, you're playing 35, 36, 37 minutes a game. Come on and let's do this. I don't know how many, I feel like he played like 40 plus minutes. I mean, it was overtime game, but he played like 40 plus minutes against the Celtics. Yeah. And and like LaMelo, when you look at his points in this game, most of them came in the final two quarters uh mark williams same thing his his impact as the game progressed the impact progressed he played all 12 minutes in the fourth quarter um 11 total points 15 total rebounds it felt like a quiet 15 rebounds because i feel like him and gafford were kind of battling down there on the block and washington's not a really good rebounding team gafford especially i don't consider him like a amazing center that this rebounds. is like an anomaly i think he had like 15 plus rebounds or something yeah. like that's not normally what he does so yeah it just felt like he was neutralized on the court for most of the game but he did make some impact plays down the uh down the down the stretch uh what are your thoughts on mark williams when it comes to 
I don't know how to describe this. Like when he gets the ball down in the restricted area, he has the ball, a lot of pump fakes. And sometimes like he doesn't have the greatest vertical explosion and maybe the awareness. And sometimes he gets blocked when I feel like, wow, like he, he, he's this massive guy that probably shouldn't. And I think the runway helps at times, like, you know, getting a couple steps for an alley-oop or a couple steps mm-hmm. for a pick and roll. That's fine. It's when he's down there on the block where he's pump faking and trying to be patient, which is, which is fine to a certain extent, but then also because he doesn't have that like upward explosion all the time, it, it doesn't always lead to baskets at the rim. Yeah, I've uh, I've felt like this year I've really noticed it. It may have happened last year. Maybe last year I was so happy to have a center I didn't notice it. But um, this year I've noticed that on when it comes to the deep, really his game in general. He just doesn't have, like, the physicality you would want him to have. When he needs to have it, he has it. So I know it's there. Like, I've like tonight, he, uh, there was some, like, high-point rebounds he had to get. He jumped up with one hand and, like like, like you said, exploded off the floor to get the, to get the board. And those were clutch boards. So it's like I know he can do it. It just seems as though it's something he turns on and off. Um, and I would like to see it more under the basket because, like you said, we kind of see it when he's going up for oops. And, yes, he's getting a little bit of, like you said, a couple of steps in first. But I've seen enough of Mark Williams to know I feel like he can do it. I just wish I could understand why he doesn't because a lot of times he he's really pretty good at drawing contact. We, we see Mark Williams get fouled a lot. I mean, he's a decent enough free throw shooter where I'm not minding. You know, if he just keeps getting ball and getting fouled, I'll take it. But he ha- he has the ability – um, I would like to see it more um, because I see it. It's just it's not consistent enough. And I really can't quite put my finger on what it is. Uh, but I, I've seen it. So I've seen it multiple times. It's not like one of those things where you see every 20 games. It's like, no, I see it three or four times a game. It's just I wish it was a little consistent, which is why we see him struggle against guys like uh, Mitchell Robinson, Jayla Duren. Because they kind of, like you said, neutralize. I like that word. They kind of neutralize him and kind of playing smaller than what he is. Like, for example, the first, the second game against the Wizards, he dominated Daniel Gafford. Yeah. Now, Daniel Gafford's the type of player where he's going to take that personally. Next game, he's going to try to, you know, play a little more physical, a little more, you know, trying to get under Mark's skin. And it seems like he did that, not get under Mark's skin, but just play, he was a lot more physical with him. And that kind of slowed Mark down a little bit. But it's just, I guess the best way for me to put it is I don't quite understand how. Mark can be physical against other guys, but once their physical backs to him, his game is just it just kind of stops. I don't I don't quite understand it, but he still manages to put up numbers. He still manages to be effective, so I can't really complain. But it's definitely something that I feel as though can be fixed. I just don't can't quite put my finger on what's causing it. And he finished four of ten in the restricted area, which I don't that that can't happen on a consistent right. basis. Obviously, that's just not a good enough percentage for a big guy like him. I guess one player that I just want to quickly mention before we get to the listener questions was Brandon Miller. Today was his birthday, correct? Yeah, 21st birthday. Did you hear his story about how he went from baseball to basketball? Yeah, about the the, the pants. Like, I guess he got a sports hurt <laughs> and the, the, he couldn't find pants that fit him in baseball. So he's like, okay, let me just go play some basketball. I That's it's a very I couldn't odd. I'm I mean, in high school, that that was like something when you get to like, what do they call like the community pants? Like they just pass them down. And then like, because I know they did that for my, like when I play football, they were just kind of like, oh, if we have the size, you know, if not, you know, make something work. So if I imagine growing to 6'8 or 6'9 or maybe even 6'7, I guess since we're talking high school, they probably were like, oh, uh, yeah, we don't have any pants for you. 
But he finished with 15 points on his birthday, uh, zero rebounds, three assists. The the only play that I really highlighted in my notes was there was a nice like steal and dunk and transition, um, mm-hmm. actually following a three-point make on, on a following possession where he did an awesome job of shielding Kispert kind of with his arm and, and going up for that dunk. And uh, that's a very veteran, like, calm move that he was doing he wasn't rushing to get to the basket he knew that he Mm -hmm. had time and was able to uh finish there all right listener question segment of the show we actually got a question from you (laughs) (laughs) i didn't know i was gonna be on here (laughs) yeah you're gonna be on here you're you're gonna answer your own question uh but i'm actually gonna pair it up with a another question go hand in hand uh so you asked can a veteran Three and D player help this team at least make the play in uh, if they can kind of maintain play similar to the Celtics game. And then there's a guy uh, at chimney underscore buckets. What's the biggest problem with the defensive scheme or lack thereof? So you're asking about a three and D player. This guy's asking about defensive scheme. I, I just pair these up here. So okay. I personally think that. The question that I think a lot of people ask themselves, mm-hmm. how much of it, when it comes to Hornets defense or anybody's defense, is it scheme versus personnel? How much do you weigh those? Is it, do you weigh heavy, heavier on the scheme and the coaching or do you weigh it heavier on the personnel? I typically think that you have to have the personnel and that plays a bigger role than the actual defensive scheme. But that's, that's not what I was about to say. Yeah. It's not to say you don't need both. I mean, you need both, mm-hmm. but I, I think the personnel and, and to your question maybe acquiring a three and D type player to try to solve two things at once would be a very good thing to do. So I think, you know, Clifford is definitely preaching some of these things, effort, communication. Um, but, you know, it's hard to know how much is getting through to the players. I also think the Hornets are somewhat limited in terms of how they can defend pick and rolls because of the fact that Mark Williams and uh, Nick Richards are both drop centers and so they're very susceptible to pick and pop uh, bigs because, you know, obviously one of the bigger downsides of playing drop the, the drop scheme is the fact that there's so much space to cover to contest those bigs like Gallinari or a Porzingis that will fade out to the three point line. Mm-hmm. So there's personnel right there. So regardless of what what you're doing there, you can switch it. Um, you can try to hedge. But at some point, you're putting players in a position where they're not going to be successful. It makes sense to play drop with Mark Williams. It makes sense to play drop. So Clifford is is kind of tailoring his system to the the personnel. Um, last thing I'll say before I pass it over to you about like the three and D and just the defensive problems that we're seeing. Um, we've seen some zone. We even saw zone tonight against the. Uh, the Wizards. I think the first possession that they ran at Wizards hit a three. So Clifford's just trying, <laughs> trying it, trying anything, trying anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but opponents are shooting thirty nine percent on above the break threes against the Hornets, which is the second highest in the NBA. And I think a lot of that goes to what I just talked about with the pick and pop bigs. Obviously, they're not all coming from you know fives, but you know I, I think that's a weakness in in Charlotte's defense. So. Teams in general are just shooting a ton from distance, and that that seems to be a problem with Charlotte. But yes, I do think that you know acquiring a three and D guy w- would be very helpful for the Hornets. But I also say this: like I feel like the three and D uh, term is overused because I think some players who are billed as three and D are either like they have 
they have the three point shot and then they have the potential to be a defensive player mm-hmm. or they're like a very good defensive player and they have stretches where they hit threes, but they're not really a three point shooter. So it's yeah, hard I to agree. find, I guess is what I'm saying. No, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Cause like you said, it's usually one or the other, <laughs> but the Hornets, I feel like we could, as long as we get somebody um, or someone, I, I think let's put it this way. If I had to like kind of pick, cause since we said it's one or the other, I would rather get a really good three point shooter uh-huh. That is an aggressive defender or like just an active defender. So you don't have to, the stats doesn't have to say you're this amazing perimeter defender, but at least when I watch you, you're trying, you're closing out, you're not ball watching. Cause I feel like another thing that we do a lot is ball watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I've, I've went back and looked at games and saw where all, everybody's looking at the ball and the four guys not guarding the ball handler has their little back turned to whoever they're guarding. So the scheme, it I like the scheme. I, I actually like the scheme itself that Steve Clifford tries to run, like especially when we start doing like the blitzes on the ball handler. Um, my only thing with that is that when it works, which is kind of seldom, it looks really good in my opinion. But when it doesn't, it looks terrible. Like, there's no in between. So, I wholeheartedly agree with your point of you got to have the certain personnel to run a certain scheme. Um, and Steve Clifford's trying to find, cause I think he realized like, okay, it's just not going to work until maybe we get some changes because at this point in our kind of Hornet rebuild, maybe outside of Mark Williams, just because I still, I still call him a rookie just because of the fat and Brandon Miller, of course, I still call Mark Williams a rookie cause he hasn't played 82 games yet, but Everybody is basically who they are. There's there's not going to be like, oh, they're they able to adapt their game and change into this. At this point, everybody's kind of who they are uh, as far as the main guys. So like PJ, Terry, I think those they're, everybody's who they are. So we need to find ways to uh, be able to use them correctly. Uh, but, yeah, I think a 3 and D type guy or I really just want a guard to play defense because what I'm seeing a lot is we'll have Brandon Miller guard guys like Drew Holiday, Brandon Miller's guarding Jordan Poole a couple of times. Jalen Brunson is a big one. And while I think he's decent at it, one, he's a rookie. Two, it's just that he doesn't quite have that foot speed yet. And also, mainly thinking of Jalen Brunson here, Jalen Brunson is an extremely like twitchy kind of guy. So it's it's not really easy for Brandon Miller to be on those guys. He he does a decent enough job, but I think that's why I think it was – key to it. whoever we get if we get someone is more of a veteran to kind of know the tricks and the trades of playing defense they don't got to be excellent but uh right now Brandon Miller has the tools it's just that you know he doesn't he's only been in the league what 14 games 15 games so I think that's kind of where I see it who and where and when I have no idea yeah. I, I I personally don't think we're going to make a move this season because it just yeah. wouldn't make sense as far as the owner standpoint um, you know, you have a coach who may not be here next year, a GM who may not be here next year. No need to kind of overturn the roster without knowing, you know, who your who your admins are going to be essentially. So, I, I doubt it will happen unless it's like a uh, Isaiah Thomas type. But I can't think of any guy that is plays like three and D that is kind of like an Isaiah Thomas situation. So, well, that that segues into a question that that. I'm going to answer here in a second, but I want to know your thoughts on Mitch Kupchak and the whole situation about, you know, this possibly being his last year. Do you think overall he's done a good job in his tenure? Like, where has he gone wrong? Where has he done, you know, stuff that you were excited about? Like, what do you feel about this whole situation with the new owners, but also knowing that Mitch could be out the door? I actually, 
Contrary to popular belief, I actually like Mitch. I huh. think my issue with him is he doesn't know how, in my opinion, he doesn't know how to pivot. I think he he makes good quality decisions, but I think he stands on that too much. So he's I I try to refrain from saying like he's afraid to admit when he's wrong because it's not right. quite that. But it's just we okay. The best way for me to put it is that in this year is one of those years. This is a playoff team. This is a playoff team. Like last year when Miles Bridges, we knew he wasn't going to play. They they were still saying, "Oh no, we're, this is easy. We can still make the playoffs." And everybody's like, "No, we cannot." If you're not going to, especially if you're not going to do anything. And then they were like, "Oh," and then they just waited too late. Like I think there was moves that could have been made to like, look, you knew he, and based on what we know now, you knew he wasn't coming back. So why did you not maybe trade Mason Plumley earlier? Because we're or get a better deal because I know it was Mason Plumley, but at the same time, it's like it could have got better than what we got. I think we ended up giving a draft pick to <laughs> give him up, or and so it like that. I'm still looking at Terry Rozier because I just never quite liked the fit with Lamelo Ball. Um, I know that's a lot easier said than done, but uh, like stuff, just certain things. The Gordon Hayward, I don't know who would have been willing to trade for him, but. They were just more like, oh, we're just going to bring him back and, you know, it'll be fine. And it's like, uh, he's it just doesn't quite fit. We saw in the 43 and 39 season, the team actually played pretty well when Gordon Hayward got hurt. Because remember, in LaMelo's first year, they were like fourth seed for like the first 20 games. Then Gordon got hurt. Then the season just went down after that. The second season, he got hurt around the same time. They didn't get better per se, but like, they were going like at the time they were maybe going like six and four, five and five in ten game stretches. This time with him gone, they were going like seven and three, six and four. So it, I wouldn't say they got better, but it was like that. Okay, that was a time for you to maybe say, okay, maybe I need to focus on these guys. So I just think it took a little long, a long time for him to kind of make a decision. That's my only gripe with Mitch Kupchak is that once he makes his decision, which I think he always has like the best inklings to make the decision. He doesn't know how to be like, okay, that that was just wrong. Like the whole Cody Martin thing as well. I'm not sitting here going, I don't say go out here and, you know, bash the guy, but not saying anything. And, and it seems like maybe mishandling his injury is like, what are we doing? So, <laughs> well, this kind of leads to a quick question that, which I'll just kind of wrap up on uh, at Chick Nicholson, ask about GM candidates or future seasons. And if this is Mitch's last season, there was a report over the summertime where Jake Fisher said that there was uh, Jeff Peterson has been linked to Charlotte. And if you're unaware, Peterson is currently the assistant GM with Brooklyn and he's really young. I, I want to say like 33, 34 years old. So that probably could make some people a little bit wary of whether he's ready for this, but Brooklyn has collected some like young and promising talent over the years with, with Claxton and, you know, Cam Thomas, I guess it depends on how you feel about him, but they went out and acquired uh, Mikel Bridges and Dorian Finney-Smith. But what I think is very interesting, if the Hornets were to make a shift in the GM and obviously others' positions would probably follow as well, there is a connection to Peterson and this new ownership group. Rick Schnall was a minority owner with the Hawks from 2015 until obviously this season. And Peterson, Jeff Peterson, was a scout 
an assistant GM with Atlanta from 2013 to 2019. So there's there's overlap there and a previous relationship. So when that report came out over the summer, I didn't really dig too deep into the guy's name, but I, I saw his name was floating out there. He was young. And then I looked at it and there is some connection between him and Schnall. So that's that could be a potential a way to kind of make that connection and um you know, maybe the the relationship is going to be a seamless one as they transfer over, if that were to be the case. But yeah, I have mixed emotions I, yeah. on Mitch. Go ahead. I would I would like to know. I would like to hear your thought if we have time, just on your own, Mitch. Because, like I said, I think he makes good decisions. I just think that he just takes too long to be like, okay, I made the wrong decision, or I could have made a better decision. And he just says a wait and see, and it's like we've already <laughs> waited a little too late. So. Yeah, I, I'm kind of like you in the sense that like he doesn't want to admit that he's wrong. And so when you're telling the fans that this team has the capabilities of making the playoffs and then when they don't. So what are you telling? What are you telling us? You didn't do a good job of evaluating your roster like you're telling us we're going to make the playoffs, but they didn't. And then you just keep blaming like the injuries, which obviously the Hornets have been very unfortunate with that thing. But, you know, every team goes through that. Uh, it's almost gotten to the point where. I don't even use. I can't. You, you can't even use injuries anymore because it's like so. Like that's what we do. It's like I can't keep blaming injuries forever, even though it is like you said a big part. And there has been some drafting misses. Obviously, the Kai Jones James Booknight draft was not a good one. Um, and Lamelo kind of just fell in his lap. It's not like he had a decision to make. It was either going to be whoever fell to him, Wiseman or Ball. So, but yeah, there are some like I don't know. I, I'm kind of like you. I'm iffy on him. I'm probably not as high as uh, on him as you are, but uh, I would not be opposed to a change. And I think the owners no, are probably no, no. thinking that way anyway. Like they feel like, okay, if this isn't going to go the way that you know Mitch had planned and making the playoffs, which you know it's, it's a very slim chance at this point. Yeah, I, I think change is probably needed, and and get a young guy in here like like Peterson from Brooklyn. So. Yeah. And- and if he's had anything to do with a lot of the decisions Brooklyn has made in the last couple of years, I think they got out of that KD, James Harden, Kyrie situation almost as best as you could at that point. You had three guys who maybe except KD's value were declining, and they it was known that they didn't want to be with you know in Brooklyn. I think you got out of that as best as you could with that information being so public, with everybody kind of knowing that you were probably selling. I think they got out as, like I said, best as they could. They got some first-round picks yeah. back. They got Mikael Bridges. They got some pieces here and there. Sign Lonnie Walker. You might can flip him at some point because he's playing f- fantastic. So if th- if he had anything to do with that, then I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, you wonder how much like the assistant GM plays a role in some of these uh, moves. But uh, last comment here in YouTube, which I think is an interesting one. Mitch will be remembered for taking Brandon Miller over Scoot. <laughs> And as of right now, yeah, that's that's the better move. Uh, it's hard to judge these things, you know, ten percent, you know, into the first season. So we'll we'll see how that plays <laughs> out a couple years down the road. But Darian, go ahead and let our listeners know. Obviously, they've they've listened to you before, but go ahead and let our listeners know where they can find you and your YouTube channel. Oh yeah, trust the buzz on YouTube. Just you know, trust the buzz. Um, and then also Truzz Buzz on Twitter, T-R-U-Z-Z-B-U-Z-Z. Um, I just do Charlotte Hornets content. I do like kind of podcasty type, but then sometimes I do like more video type 
videos for lack of a better word where it's a little more editing a little more film breakdown so uh, if you're interested in that go ahead and check it out uh, i love being here thank you for inviting me i'll i'll be on here anytime you ask me to um i i really enjoy it yeah you're almost like an honorary like co-host at this point a little fill-in so uh, <laughs> i i know the wednesday before thanksgiving is probably not uh an episode that a lot of eyes or ears get on and i'm sure people are traveling and stuff like that but you know, I was like, I, I got some time tonight. Let me let me go ahead and record this and uh, stay up for a game in which the Hornets were disappointing for most of the game, but ended up pulling it out. So I appreciate everyone for tuning in. And as always, go ahead and tell a friend about our podcast, share our episodes with them, retweet us on Twitter, review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you listen to our podcast. So for Darian, I'm Richie. We'll talk to you guys later. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.